Welcome, everybody, to The Calling Vision, where we explore changing the world when you align and partner with the vision that is seeking you. This is the vision that has selected you to bring it into form. This is B.B. Harding, your host, and today I have as my guest, Susan Bloom. Hi, Susan. Hi, B.B. All right. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, I'm going to say a few words about Susan, um, you know, before we get started, just so you have some idea of who she is. So she's another one of my colleagues from the Equine Gestalt Coaching Program. And um, Susan, I have to tell you, I went and took a look at your website, and there were a few things that kind of caught my attention on there. So the first one was that you'd been a writer since you were like five, your grandpa gave you your first pony, and that you were, you know, two of your favorite activities were pole bending and barrel racing. Now, I've heard about barrel racing. I had not ever heard about pole bending by that name. And so I went and looked it up. And for any of you that want to know what that means, it's a timed event that features a horse and one mounted rider running a weaving or serpentine path around six poles arranged in a line. So I've seen those events, you know, people doing those, but I didn't know what it was called, obviously. So the second thing that caught my attention was the fact that you shared about um, you became ended up becoming the caretaker for your husband with his rare autoimmune disease. And you threw out a little factoid there about having driven over 57,000 miles while working with his providers and seeking the care that he needed. And then the third thing that really caught my attention was the fact that You've had so many experiences with the, let's call it medical profession, that um, you felt like you had seen the good, the bad, and the ugly about it. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, I forget which Clint Eastwood movie that was, um, but I could hear the little whistle in the back of my head on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then I feel like, you know, you get to say that with some credibility. You know, some people can say that out loud, but for you, you started out as a young child being the only daughter for the only small town doctor. And so you got to see it all. And you mentioned that, you know, I actually spent some time working in the business. And for you, you know, going through that particular thing was kind of exciting. And then um, and then later, uh, what happened is you got the the role of a caregiver thrust upon you is a feeling that I got just literally thrust upon you. Uh, when your husband was diagnosed with a very rare autoimmune disease. And then the third thing that I felt really gave you credibility was your own very personal experience with breast cancer. And so from when you were going through that experience, you got to see both sides, you know, from both the caregiver and as the patient. So I just want to say thank you and, you know, for being here, Susan, and having this conversation with us. Well, thank you for acknowledging all of that. <laughs> I'm going to ask you that. Leave, leave anything out. I didn't throw in the fact that you're a master gestaltist and um, things like that. But today, do you feel like I left anything out that people should know? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, cool. So um, one of the things that I also saw on your website is is looking at the idea that you are wanting to work with doctors 
and being able to help them deepen the connection and the communication, you know, uh, with, you know, between them and their patients. And I know that you mentioned that, especially when you were doing your husband and yourself, getting that, you know, having a good communication between the two of you was kind of paramount. What do you see, like, if doctors and patients were to have a really increased level of communication and um, connection, what do you see as being a possible outcome? Uh, first of all, I see that um, patients would be better at listening to their doctors, following their instructions, not feeling like their doctors are superhuman or so much better than them. If the doctors, even, even little smidgens of their lives, um, we went to see, I went to see a doctor with my son recently, and he was one of my husband's doctors as well. And he said <laughs> that I commented that they were finally not masking at KU Med Center. And he said, yeah, that's been about two weeks ago. He said, my wife, we have a 14 year old and my wife said if they didn't drop the masking restriction soon, she was going to change his pediatrician to somewhere else. Ah, you know, and and just that little bit that he's human and he has a family and and they're human helps, I think, helps patients to not hold those doctors up to a higher, um, put them on a pedestal like we tend to do. And I am very comfortable around doctors because because of my dad, because I've met so many doctors and medical students. And, and um, I honestly think that helped. The other thing that I, I would, I think it would help the doctors avoid burnout if they felt like their patients were listening to them and complying with their wishes and, and weren't afraid to ask questions. Um, and improving their relationships, not only with their patients, but with their families, I think would help a lot of doctors avoid burnout. Uh, and, you know, we see a lot of that and avoid suicide, which is pretty high among doctors as well. So you said a couple of things in there that were interesting. <clears throat> One of them was, um, patients would listen to their doctors. So do you have experience of where patients aren't, when you talk, say that, I mean, what particular aspects? Taking medications was one you mentioned, but what else? Happens uh, and maybe it's more of asking questions so that they understand what the doctor's saying, because doctors can use terms that normal people don't understand. Yep. And and if we have put them up on a pedestal, we might be afraid to ask. We might be afraid, mm -hmm. afraid to ask that I, this particular doctor one time said, well, has Mike is has he been febrile? And I looked at him and I said, you're going to have to tell me what that is. <laughs> well, is he running a fever? Oh, no, that you know, that I understand. But I don't understand the medical term. Right. And um you know, it's those simple little things. If if uh, 
we as patients think the doctors are better than us, we may be afraid to ask those questions. So what I'm hearing here is that um, you're aware that there's a lot of patients that are not advocates for themselves in their health care. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm imagining that one of the things you would say is that if patients are looking at themselves as being co-creators in their health, they would be able to ask their doctors and the doctors would be a presence that would be welcoming of those questions. Right. Yes. Right. And on on the other hand, my son, who um, had to have surgery on his shoulder a while back, the first time we met the orthopedic surgeon, when he left the room, I looked at, at my son, who was 20, 21, and I said, I think he's more comfortable with patients who are under, an, under anesthesia than ones that are awake. <laughs> and, and, you know, honestly, for a surgeon, you want him to be better at some things. And but it is nice to have a doctor who can at least relate to you a little bit. Yeah. Right. And even for a 21 year old to say. Um, I don't feel like this doctor listens to me. Wow. Is. You know, it's it's pretty telling of, yeah. first of all, of the doctor, but of the whole relationship. So if you don't feel like the doctor listens to you, are you going to listen to them? Good question. Probably not. And then there are some things I know from myself as a patient. It's like the doctor says something and I don't want to hear that. <laughs> so then it's like, don't pay attention too much or definitely don't execute on on what he or she recommends, you know, coming out of the denial phase, you know, kind of thing. One of the things also that struck me with my husband was when we would talk about um, a visit with a doctor and he would say something and I'm like, huh, that's not at all how I heard that. <laughs> that is not what I heard him say. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of that, did you find that your experience as the caregiver for Mike was something that increased your communications or decreased them, you know, like maybe because you were together, there was no discussion about it or um, what did you find in that process as caregiver? It probably increased them a little bit. Our, we were married for 32 years and honestly, our communications weren't all that good for a lot of our marriage. Right. Um, and and yes, I would have to say that his, his illness probably made that better. Okay. Um, so you're in the process in your work of working with the doctors to increase the ability to communicate and connect with their patients. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I forgot the question I was just going to ask you. Um, so is this something that you would teach them about to, uh, you know, some of the observations that you've made about that would be easier to talk to somebody under anesthesia than a, a live patient? Um, <laughs> I think you ought to use those lines, quite frankly. <laughs> but when you're working with the doctors, give us, some, you know, kind of real feedback. But 
Is that something that you intend to cover or is it something that you just figure working on some of the other things will make a difference? Um, yeah, I mean, I would. And, and I think, and you know this because of the Gestalt training you've had, that a lot of our hangups, a lot of our, I mean, it's, First, your personality has a lot to do with it. But second, you have probably almost everyone has some sort of trauma in their background. Mm -hmm. And to heal that trauma um, will help with everything. It brings more peace to your life. And, and I've often said that... I went into the equine gestalt program about two years into Mike's healthcare journey. And I feel like the program put me in the best place I could have been to deal with that. And that's probably one of the reasons our communications improved um, through that, that and, like you mentioned, we traveled 57,000 miles, and that was just for his health care. Some of that was yep. for mine as well, and, and in the later later of it. Um, and so we spent a lot of windshield time. I like that term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because where I live, I mean, the closest airport to Oakley, Kansas is actually Denver, and it's three and a half to four hours. And if we're going to Denver to see a doctor, um, you may as well drive. And Kansas City, where we finally landed, it's 350 miles. Um, and again, we'd have to drive to Denver to get a flight to Kansas City. So that's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of live in a similar situation. <laughs> yeah. You want to fly from here to here? Oh, yeah, you have to go from here to here to here. Well, and that's not entirely true. We could have driven 90 miles east and gotten on a plane to Hayes, flown to Denver, and then back to Kansas City. Or 90 miles south, I think we could have flown to, to Dallas-Fort Worth and then to Kansas City. <laughs> yep. But it's it's crazy to get somewhere from here. Yeah, especially if you're in a small place. Yeah. yeah. I find that that's true. So, you know, I have a question about the direction that you ended up taking. You know, you could say, you know, given your experience, you know, you were just mentioning the word trauma, some of which I would imagine felt somewhat dramatic, you know, to have to be dealing with. How is it that, you know, you were moved towards the work that you're doing as opposed to turning your back on it all? Oh, I think part, so when I first, when I first started the equine gestalt program, I had no idea, first of all, what it was right. or, what I, or what I might do with it. And it kind of started out as, and as I've, I've listened to the books and whatnot on the subject too, I think that a lot of our disease processes are caused by trauma. 
So my first inclination was to help patients. Hmm. Um, and that morphed into helping the doctors help patients. So it's kind of like, would you say that it would um, be appropriate anyway to say that you started out with the idea of um, you would help patients. And then as you kind of set with that energy, it turned out that you felt the little push to make it one step differently, which was to work with the doctors, to work with the patients. Would you feel that that was kind of a process or? Yes, I, I would. And I think that part of my pull towards doctors is I saw what my dad went through was the only doctor here. Yeah. Um, he did his best to go to, to our events. But if he was going to leave town for a couple days, he had to hire someone to come in and cover his practice and the, the hospital stuff. And, and, you know, I saw the toll that that took on him. Right. And... Uh, granted, the doctors that work in the cities, they don't have that kind of a 24-7 pull. Um, they also don't see their patients very often outside of the clinic or the hospital or whatever that is. Um, and that, so that's one of the things that I think made my dad more human to his patients was the fact that, you know, they might see us out to dinner. They might see him at a high school sporting event. Well, they would see him at high school sporting events or, or what, whatever. Whereas, and again, one of Mike's doctors said, I'm so glad I don't run into my patients when I'm at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, the unfortunate part of that is they, their patients don't see them as human if, if they don't um, do that. Mike also had a surgeon who I was walking through the lobby at KU Med Center one day. I was going, was actually going to the gift shop to see if they had some dark chocolate because I was feeling rather stressed. And he stopped me. And he he asked me how I was doing. I responded with how Mike was doing. And he kind of said, no, how are you doing? And when you get home, you need to go out with your girlfriends. Nice. Um, to, to relieve some stress and was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably I do. That was kind of another question that I had for you is, you know, you're seeing it because you made a, a comment on, you have a little video clip on your website, and uh, you made the comment about how much as a patient, you appreciated the doctors got back to you. And yet at the same time, seeing and recognizing that they had, they should be having a life, like they shouldn't be doing emails when they're on vacation. Um, and so kind of a mixed bag. And I imagine that you probably kind of went through that when you were caretaking Mike, how did you go about, you know, trying to balance, you know, the role of caregiver and the role of take care of myself caregiver? Um, I'll be honest, I didn't do a great job of it. Um, 
I I did keep in touch with the Touched by a Horse herdmates. I was in cores, so I was going right. to those, you know, every few months, not not very often. However, those were big. I mean, those were big things. Right. And I feel like the people, those people are, I'm closer to than than most of the people here in town that I've known all my life. Um, I know them better. They know me better. And so that was, I guess, one of the ways that I did that. Uh, one of the the things that I think was best for me when when Mike got admitted into the hospital at KU, you know, and I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, well, I didn't leave their side." I had a son who was living in Lawrence, which is, or we had a son who was living in Lawrence, which is forty forty five minutes from the hospital, and and. With a rare exception, I would go over and stay at his apartment and, you know, decompress, have a glass of wine, have dinner somewhere besides the hospital. Um, And so I guess that was kind of my self-care. Okay. Give yourself a little rest time in the evening. Right. Right. And... (sighs) And I, I feel like, you know, Mike understood that, that that was, that was how I needed to take care of myself. Um, and honestly, it was easier when he was in the hospital at KU than he had a couple of hospital stays in Colby, which is 20 miles from us. And I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could just go over there and spend the whole day with him because I was drawn to do other things when I was at Kansas, when he was in Kansas city, there was really not much else I could do. Right. So I would go spend the day with him and do. Sometimes I took work along with me to do. Um, And I definitely did a lot of studying for, for the touch by horse program. Yes. Does require a little. Yeah. And reading, yeah. Okay. So is that something you mentioned? I don't know if it's still active, but I I think it was on the clip also that I mentioned earlier that you said you would be working with family caregivers. Is that something that's still active in your thought form? Yes, it is. Um, I am moving to eastern Kansas. Right. Um, Right. I'm kind of in the middle of that. And as soon as I get my horses there, um, June the 20th to 22nd, so next week as we're recording this, I will start a caregiver circle. Nice. And and will you spend time working with the caregivers about taking care of themselves? I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, I think having a place we can all go and vent to our friends, but if they're not in, if if they're not a caregiver or, as in my case, a widow, they don't understand. Right. Um, 
if they haven't been through it, they don't understand. So to have a safe place where caregivers and or widows can come and be with people who understand and to work on themselves to grow their, well, to grow their support network too. Right. Um, last week while I was in Eastern Kansas, I had lunch with a friend of mine who's a widow and, you know, they're, she, she says her friends tell her she needs to get over her grief, which I think her husband died almost two years ago. Right. And I told her, no, sit with it when you need to. Yeah, I think that's something that's really hard is to really recognize that everybody goes through their own grief process. And mm -hmm. what works for one person may or may not work for another. Um, and the other thing is I know that there's a kind of an implied thing that you're supposed to get over it right away. I mean, it's over and done. Get on with your life, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I don't think people really grasp, you know, grasp that for some people that ain't going to happen right away. I think, and this is my opinion, that there'll be grief around that for the rest of my life. Mm. It's not going to be as debilitating or as severe. But I will, you know, something will trigger something and I'll, this wave of grief comes over me. And... I'll sit with that and it passes and then I'm okay. And, and I think that'll be that way for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I think I've heard this saying, you know, that it's something about you don't forget. You, you may move on in your life, but you don't forget. Yeah. And um, sorry to whomever wrote the quote originally. Um, and I think that you just said that, that, you know, for you, it's going to be an element that's there all the time. Um, and it sounded like, too, that you just said that you took a moment to experience it mm -hmm. rather than going, oh, yeah, let's get on with bailing the hay or taking out the water or, you know, whatever it is. When you're working with caregivers in general, how do you or you may not, but how do you get them introduced to the idea of if they experience a wave of grief, it's okay? How do you move them into that? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are... And it, it's interesting because I feel like I did a lot of of pre-grief with the Gestalt coaching method, the Gestalt stuff in right. course. Right. And it came along fairly naturally for me as I worked on those hardships in, in our relationship and um, 
you know, some of the trauma in my childhood. And, and I would have to say that as people looked in, they probably never knew that there was any sort of trauma in my life. Um, and so I, I'm not sure how I would get someone through a, like a grief before. Ah, yep. After, of course, we have a, a lot of ways to do it. Right. Um, and explaining that that it's okay sit with it sit with it for as long as you need to um sometimes with me it's a song that'll trigger it mm -hmm. and it, it it runs its course usually by the time the song's over and and i'm okay um and even before before I lost Mike, there was uh, there were songs that would bring that kind of stuff up. And um, thinking that, you know. Yeah. But if I if I really want to sit down and feel it, I have actually have a whole playlist that I can turn on and just just wallow for a little bit. <laughs> Okay, that's pretty pretty amusing. <laughs> I could imagine the wallow playlist. <laughs> Not to make fun of you. No, it's the, actually it's it's Mike's playlist, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you're in the process of moving right now. Do, do you find that the move from you said Oakley and then I forget what you said the. Kansas City, is that right? Is in Kansas City? Oskaloosa, which is, yes, okay. in the Kansas City area. Okay. I was going, because when you mentioned Kansas City, I was going, I thought Kansas City was pretty big. <laughs> um, okay, Oskaloosa. Um, so in this transition that you're making, personally, is, your, is the work that you plan on doing, you know, the calling elements, so to speak, is that something that you see already evolving or are getting a hint that it might be evolving? Um, a little bit of a hint. Uh, the other thing that I, I do is we're going to start a chapter of a nonprofit called Hope Held by a Horse that does programs for, uh, I think they're expanding it to all cancer patients. It was breast cancer patients and survivors um, and do healing work with the horses with them. I've been, you know, talking with my doctors about that for a couple of years, I'll say. Mm. Um, and, and I have a friend there who's helping me get some connections with caregivers that she knows and, and the such and so yeah things are starting to fall into place for sure mm -hmm. and so, and i i expect the doctors might be a little bit tougher to get yes yeah i, I also have a brother who's the the cfo at a, a hospital that is east of kansas city a little bit so um i'm 
trying to get him interested in it as well. That could be interesting. Yeah. Especially if it's bigger, even. It's it's a smaller hospital, and I've asked him, you know, where where do your patients go for outreach programs? And it is one of the major hospitals in the Kansas City area. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So so you're getting these little hints. Have you ever been in the position where you feel like the universe is tapping you on the shoulder and you're going, uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> and if so, what what changed over time? You know, I, I I know I've been through. So I went through another business coaching program a few years ago, and when I told my coach that I wanted to work with caregivers. He was like, they're not going to be your money makers. I said, I know that. (laughs) That's not, that's not the point. The point is I need to serve people Mm -hmm. who, who um, need help. How is that? brought you joy oh you know and not necessarily in in the gestalt but several years ago i had a a friend who was here in town and she was looking for a different um, avenue for a career and i have a lot of contacts so I got her the name of someone that I thought might be able to help her. And I remember just feeling joy of helping someone else. Mm. Just that, you know, that just feels so good. And and when I work with people with the equine gestalt, it it does. It's, you know, to help someone heal heal their life is it does bring joy to mm-hmm. mine mm-hmm. and hopefully to theirs. What would you consider at this moment your purpose? You know, the why are you here on the planet question? To help build relationships, to help people form connections. Um yeah, for sure, to help people form connections so that their relationships can be fuller and and more trusting, more open, more um, more, just more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That my my um, college degree is actually in communications. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it's interesting because we all hear things through our life filters, which is why when Mike and I listened to doctors, we heard things differently. Right. 
you mentioned had different filters. Yeah, he had different filters than I did. Um, I had, and, and this was a, a friend of mine here locally, and I just, I loved the way she explained this. And she said, I speak swart. My husband speaks spore. So we all grow up with the language of our family. So I, I personally speak Omart and Mike spoke Bloom. And then our children speak some combination thereof. So we all grow up with those, you know, nuances from our, our family's um, history. You might say, I mean, you could even take that back a little farther and say, you know, I speak a combination of Omart and Sokolowski. And from the families. Yeah, from the families. Yep. Because we do. We, we hear things through those filters and are the people we're talking to hear it through their filters and they may not understand what we're saying. And that's what tends to make communications kind of difficult sometimes. Yeah. I, I've got a friend of mine that's a holistic practitioner. And she said, I spend a lot of time in my sessions asking the questions. So now what do you mean by that? <laughs> Pretend I come from Mars and I don't understand the language. What, how would you explain that to me? So, and it's kind of like, you know, whatever we learned, you know, the blessings mm -hmm. of the environments that we were in is how we perceive things and see things and the meanings that we ascribe to them, um, which makes all the difference in the world for communicating. It does. And, you know, because I grew up with a father who was a doctor and, and a mother who was an artist you know, I've got some of those. I, I I understand more medical stuff than a lot of people. Yes. Um, and I worked with veterinarians from a fairly young age with my my horses. Um, so it was nice to have my dad to kind of explain things, even though he wasn't a veterinarian. He could say, "Well, yeah, this is this is what happens," and um, but you get those kind of pre preconceived notions of how how things should be and about communications. And then when you are explaining something to someone else, they're like, no. <laughs> That's not quite what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know that I've got a um, very strong sense of where I want people to use accurate words and if I used a particular word and they change it to something that doesn't line up in my mind I go no <laughs> that you know that's not what I said and mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like I have a precision for words that a lot of other people don't necessarily have which makes a huge difference to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know Susan in all the things you know I imagine that you know you're helping people um, essentially relearn 
you know, what it means to be who they are and taking care of themselves. Um, at the same time, you know, I could see that um, you would be potentially helping people rewrite the narrative of their story. So one of the things is I'm aware of from my own experiences is that we have a need really in the universe at this time for people to write the story where they recognize that the universe has been there for them all along, you know, to take care of them, what have you. So in all of your travails, all the experiences that you've had, have you been aware that the universe has had your back the whole time? Hmm. You know, I like to, I like to think anyway that, yes, everything that's happened in my life has made me obviously the person that I am. And to, to come out where I am, it, it must have had my back. It must have been watching out for me. Um, and I, I made some choices at a young age that meant that I would live in Oakley, Kansas for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. That choice also probably made it so I could have horses in my life for the rest of my life. Um, and that I'm truly thankful for. And I, I finished high school here and I went off to college and I was like, I am never coming back. <laughs> and I was in a bad relationship and, and I did come back and that's when I met Mike. Um, and I didn't expect that relationship to end the way it did as right. early as it did. Right. Um, and now I'm grasping the opportunity to, to follow my my calling and go work with doctors and caregivers and patients to enhance their lives. Good. Thank you for thank you for your willingness to do that for the planet. <clears throat> so if people wanted to get a hold of you, Susan, how would they go about doing that? Probably the best way is by email. Okay. And my email address is Susan B at connection and synergy.com. Okay. Um, it's on my website, which is connection and synergy.com. Or if they want to call me by phone, that number is 913-390-3551. Okay. Thank you, Susan. So thank you so much for being here today. It was a great conversation. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Phoebe. I thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. Thank you.